Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. We are actually in the season of Advent, uh, which comes from a Latin word for coming or arrival. And this is what we believe as Christians. We believe that God has come to us in the flesh through the person of Jesus. Now, this is so extraordinary, this idea that somehow the God, the transcendent God who created the world and everything in it, has somehow come close to us. Now, this is absolutely stunning. And so over the next few weeks, we'll actually be in this message series called Melodies of Advent. Now, I thank you for being here today. I know that people trudge through the rain, as well as there's a group of folks, uh, a large group of folks who are away at the retreat. And we are just so grateful that you're here today as we kind of reflect on what Advent looks like. I think of all the cities in the world, I think our city does Christmas the best. Um, And I don't say that as a proud New Yorker. I say that because it's fact. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Said much like a proud New Yorker. Um, But the reality is, I mean, when it comes to the lights, the decorations, the gift giving, just the spirit of Christmas, I think in many ways, is extraordinary in our city. And I think it's something to be celebrated. Um, But in many ways, what's so crazy about the Christmas story is that it's so different than perhaps the ways that the rest of the world may celebrate Christmas with all of its extravagance and wealth and lights and glitz and glamour. There are circumstances that are so different, especially when we reflect on the story of the circumstances around Jesus coming into the world. And as we look at these different songs of Advent, we're actually going to see how this story is so stunning and surprising um, and really topsy-turvy in the way that it comes to us. And we actually see this in the story of Mary. Mary, whose song that was just read for us by Birdie earlier, um, is, it comes to us in this song that she sings in response to the news that Jesus will be born through through her. Now, this actually comes, uh, the circumstances are actually described in a few verses before this. Check this out. Look at what it says. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is basically the, the mother of John the Baptist, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, here's what's stunning about this moment. Look at how Mary responds. Mary was greatly troubled. The word here that's used for troubled is the Greek word terasso. Can I hear you say terasso? Yeah, we get words like Ted Lasso from terasso. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but greatly troubled. She's agitated. Something doesn't sit right. And if you understood the circumstances, you would kind of understand why um, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary then asks this question that all of us would probably ask if we were in her circumstance. Look at what she asked. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. In other words, I've never been with Joseph. How is that possible that somehow that I could give birth to this son. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. Isn't this stunning, this kind of revelation? Could you imagine you're in Mary's shoes and you receive this revelation? And look at how she responds. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. 
May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, this is stunning because in the ancient world, um, for a woman, now I realize this is a far more patriarchal society um, in the ancient world than we live in today. So some of us might be a little bit aghast at what I'm about to describe to you. In the ancient world, the only kind of social capital a woman had was the fact that she could be married and that she could bear children. These were the only things that could allow a woman to somehow advance or live a life of, uh, of comfort and of stability, was to be married and to bear children. And, and so you could imagine for Mary, she's like this teenage girl who's betrothed to be married to Joseph. In many ways, like all she's heard throughout her life is that she has this opportunity to finally be married and, and then hopefully build a family together. So this is the only thing that she could hang her hat on. And all of a sudden, this revelation comes to her in this, in this vision from this angel. And she's told, uh, hey, by the way, you're actually going to give birth. And she's wondering, like, what? Like, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? You're, you're going to give birth, and uh, it's going to be to a child, uh, and you're going to call him Jesus. And Mary's just like, what? what? Like, but I'm a virgin. I've never been with Joseph. And the angel's like, oh, it's okay. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will conceive you. I mean, could you imagine for Mary? She's like, uh, okay. But in many ways, here's what ends up happening, right? I could imagine Mary being in this situation, and all of a sudden, all these thoughts run through her mind. She's like, wait a minute. What is Joseph going to think? I tell Joseph, you know, she's like, he's like, I tell her, I tell him, hey, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, what? By whom? The Holy Spirit. I mean, could you imagine this moment, what it must have been like? Like some of the doubts that must have crept into Joseph's minds, some of the doubts that must have crept into Mary's mind as she thinks about, this could destroy my marriage. In fact, what if Joseph leaves me? In fact, I'll be known as that woman who had a child out of wedlock, which would prohibit me then from being married to anyone. What would it look like? What if I'm, I'm going to have this reputation around town and have to live under this inglorious shame for the rest of my life? In many ways, this circumstance that has befallen Mary right now through this vision, it's a circumstance that, if you think about it, is really the worst thing that could happen to her. Because both of the things that could dare give her any sense of security, comfort, semblance of, of stability was basically to get married and to, have a, to build a family together. And here, with this revelation, comes this thing that could threaten all of it. And yet, here's how Mary responds. Look at the song. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And basically, Mary starts to flow with words of praise to God. In the midst of what looks like the worst situation of her life, somehow she's able to step back from all of that and to be able to sing these praise of glory to God in the highest. 
that God would bless for generations to generations. Now, this is extraordinary. Because what's revealed in this song is how Mary, to Mary, with God, the worst possible thing for any of us that any of us can go through is never the last thing, is never the final thing, is never the ultimate thing. And Mary, in a situation where it might feel like for her, my life is absolutely finished, it's over, I can't believe I'm even in this circumstance, she's actually able to say, God, let it be, let your word to me be fulfilled. I am your servant. Now that is absolutely extraordinary. Um, I know that with the glitz and glamour of Christmas, especially in a city like New York, um, it's, it's really hard to realize that oftentimes, and, I, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that oftentimes this can also be, while it's a time of great celebration and families and festivities, it's also a time of incredible pain and difficulty. Depression rates begin to skyrocket. Some of the, the, the pain of broken families or financial needs become even more apparent at the end of the year. Um, in the Western Christian tradition, uh, there's something called Blue Christmas. Blue Christmas is generally the longest night of the year. And it's supposed to sim- uh, signify the season for people's lives where we recognize that Blue Christmas, that oftentimes during the holidays, it can be some of the most tragic, most difficult times for Christians to experience. Um, so in the midst of all the lights and Rockefeller Center and the tree, there's also the pain of broken families, of broken relationships of people who are ill, of reminders that perhaps there are things that I don't have, to, that, that are, make it difficult for me to be thankful for um, what's happening in my life right now. And the reality is blue Christmas services um, throughout Western Christian traditions have been offered to people to actually grieve and lament in the season of Christmas. And in many ways, as I think about the life of Mary and I think about the circumstances in which Jesus comes into the world, it's a circumstance of a lot of blue Christmas, a time of pain, of longing, of wondering whether God is going to deliver, whether God is really going to come through. Um, I remember in a season of my own life that was really difficult as I look back, it was a season of unemployment for me where I was trying to figure out what was uh, going to happen with my own life. I'd worked as a pastor of a church for 10 years. I had left that church, um, and all of a sudden, I was unemployed. We were bleeding through savings, and my sense of security, my sense of self-worth started to plummet. And I remember during this season, as I'm really wrestling with my own um, future and worried about the future, um, I came across this quote by Paula Darcy, who's a spiritual writer, and here's what she says. She says, God comes to you disguised as your life. And I remember reading that and being like, no, 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 I don't want God come to me through my life right now. I am unemployed and I have no sense of what's next in my future. I need God to come to me as a savior from the clouds who's going to drop from heaven a great resume for me on LinkedIn as well as an opportunity to get the best kind of position that I can get. That's what I need God to come to me as. And yet here I was reading this quote, God comes to you disguised as your life, as your unemployment, as your depression, as your moment of hopelessness. Somehow God comes to us in our lives. 
And I was thinking about this situation that Mary's in right now. She's able to somehow, in the midst of whatever she's going through, she's able to, what seems in her own vision, to be, to be like the worst thing to happen to her. Somehow she's able to have a, an expansive view with her heart and with her soul that God is coming to her through her life. Right now, that the worst thing with God is actually not the last thing. As I was thinking about that season that I went through of unemployment, I just realized like, that God was coming to me during that time. And only looking back now at that time, I realized what God needed to do was to disassociate um, how my sense of identity had so much to do with my vocation, my job. And during that season, the only way I could learn that my sense of, of self was not tied to my, my role or my profession, but rather through my relationship with God, the only way that could happen was for me to go through that season of unemployment. So now I look back on that season, I'm like, wow, God was actually working and doing something extraordinary in my life if I was open to it. Now, the reality is some of us are in situations right now where you're in a season of depression. Maybe you're in a situation of financial need. Maybe you're in a situation of heartbreak. Maybe you're in a situation uh, as a parent with a wayward child. Maybe you're in a situation where someone you love is, is, is hurting or in the hospital. Maybe you're in a situation that feels really dire. And here's what I would love to, inter- to invite you to today is what if God was coming to you as your life right now? All the things that you wish were different and yet somehow God is coming to you in your life right now. Now again, it's only after having gone through it could I look back and be like, wow, God really worked through that season of unemployment for me. The reality is there are many things in our lives that sometimes get unresolved completely. Sometimes we go through tragic circumstances. We don't know the reason why. And so even to say this, to say, God, please come to me through my life right now is really a confession to surrender to God. And this is what Mary is doing. Mary is basically saying, um, I will praise you, God. I will give glory to you. If you think about it, Mary would not even know about Jesus and what Jesus had done or what Jesus would do. And even the effects of this Christian movement Um, Mary wouldn't even know about that in her lifetime fully. Instead, she would just see that her, you know, this child that was being raised, somehow she held this in her heart. So sometimes there are things that are unresolved for us. You know, as I was journaling things like I wish that were different in my life right now, as I was was kind of thinking about this idea of God comes to us disguised as your life, I I was thinking through, um, uh, recently there was this picture of a gathering that our family was at, and it was a gathering, and it was, it was like a picture from like, this, like uh, the, an upper floor downward towards this group of people. And so my wife and I were looking through these pictures, and I'm like, oh, look at these pictures, and like all these people are there. And then uh, I looked, at, and I said, oh, who's, who's that bald guy right there? And then Tina goes, Drew, that's you. And I was like, that's not me. And she goes, that's you. And then she's like, David Avery, my son and my daughter, he's like, come over here, guys. And then, you know, you know David and Avery, you know, Amber, Amber over in there. She goes, she goes, who is that guy right there? Because it was, it was a picture of the back, like an aerial kind of back. And then, and then they go, Appa, which means dad in Korean, you know? And I was like, don't you lie, you know? Like, <laughs> and then, like, it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, and then she goes, Drew, that's, that's you. 
you're, you're bald and balding. And like, there was this moment for me where I was just like, I was like, what? Like, you're right, I'm, I'm bald. And it was, it was like this moment for me of like, I'm, I'm a 44-year-old bald man. Like, there was this moment of reality for me of just like, I, I just, I'm just acknowledging the reality that I'm a 44-year-old bald man. Uh, you can see I'm saying it over and over to remind myself of this reality. Because a part of me thinks of myself as flush, full of hair, and this really incredible, you know, and as I was journaling, just kind of like, gosh, I, one of the things that I wish was different is I wish I had my hair back. But I just started realizing, gosh, even something as simple as that, like, I, you know what? I am a 44-year-old bald man. God is coming to me disguised as my life. There are all sorts of ways in which I can say, I wish I was, I had a full set of hair. I wish I was a baller. Sorry. Uh, I wish I was, right? There's all these things that I wish for myself. And yet, here's the reality of what the story of Mary shows us and what the story of how God comes to us disguises our life shows us is that, wow, God, maybe what you're doing to me with the state of my baldness is just reminding me that everything is fleeting even my youthfulness, even my vain glory, the ways in which I think I'm better looking than I maybe am. Not to say that bald people can't be good looking, because, you know, anyhow. Uh, But there's all these ways, right, in which God is coming to you and to me. He's coming to all of us disguised as our life. What is it for each one of us as you think about your, the current condition of your soul, of your life, the longings that you have as a student? Or maybe you're someone who's, who's, again, recovering from a broken relationship and you're just like, oh, man, God, I wish things were different. And what if God was actually coming to you as your life? You know, I mentioned that in kind of the song of Mary, the word humble is used twice. Humble comes from the same root of the word humiliation, right? And I realized the humiliation of realizing, oh my goodness, I'm a 44-year-old bald man. But yet humble, what it, what it basically comes from is this idea of being close to the earth, close to reality, being, being able to live in reality. And I realized here's what Mary's able to do. Mary's able to have these eyes that when the world around her looks a certain way, when her own emotional life perhaps gets carried away in histrionic kind of like, I can't believe this is happening to me. This is the worst thing, worst thing to happen to me in my life. Somehow she's able to have eyes and vision to see what is true and what is real. Richard Rohr says this. He says, some people see things as they are, as We are, as my own myopic vision, as the only, the way that I can see based on my own filter of my own life, my own feelings, my own wishes, my own dreams. But some people can see things as they truly are, as they truly, really are. How many of us, what if we were invited to be able to, like, with all the values of the world and all the messages that we receive through the media and whatever else, what if each one of us somehow were invited to actually have spiritual vision through the lens of our own lives right now and be able to see with 
new kind of, a new kind of lens, a spiritual lens to be able to see what God is doing, see how God is working. And like Mary, being able to say, God, I am your servant. Whatever you have for me, may that be fulfilled. May I surrender to your love. See, the reason why Mary is venerated in the Catholic tradition and in the scriptures, her song and her story is so celebrated is because she's a sign of in the worst kind of moment. She's able to see with a brand new kind of lens. Be able to see even the things that in her life seem like everything is topsy-turvy, everything is going wrong. Somehow she's able to say, God, your will is greater and I surrender to the love of your will. For you and for me, what if God was coming to you disguised as your life today? What if today God wanted to meet you in whatever financial anxieties you had? What if God wanted to meet you today in whatever kind of relationship issues were going on right now? Whatever anxieties about the future, what if God today like Mary, wanted to come to you disguised as your life. Could you and I surrender to this God and say, God, yes, I am your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled.